Father, hear our prayers in the silence of our own hearts just now as we ask you to speak to us in a fresh and powerful way this morning. Thank you for the incredible confidence we can have that you want to give us your Spirit, that we can lean heavily on you, that it's not by might nor by power, but by your Spirit, that our hearts will be transformed this morning, that we will understand your Word. So thank you, Father, for pouring out your Holy Spirit, for giving us ears to hear your Word this morning. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. I don't know how they did it, but Minty, Ben, and Henry finally had their dreams. They were experiencing freedom for the first time in your life. You see, they had all three been born into slavery. They had grown up in slavery, but finally they had made their escape, and they were on their way north, hoping to finally experience the freedom that they could only have dreamed about. They didn't know what it was really like, except for the other free people that they had seen walking around. But suddenly, as they were making their escape, something happened. They got a word in the newspaper that, and apparently they, somebody must have told them because they weren't able to read themselves, but they found out that there was a reward offered for their return to their master of $100 for each of them. That was a lot of money back then, and this intimidated them to think, now people, anybody might come and turn us in. They might come after us. We better go back to our master. So they turned around and they went back. Actually, Minty really didn't want to go, but her brothers dragged her back. And as they went back, they believe that partially it may have been because Ben was a new father, and so maybe he was worried about his children. We're not sure exactly what happened. But they went back into slavery on the cusp of freedom. They had almost made it. They could taste it. But then they went back. Can you imagine the freedom that is found in Genesis chapter 1. We've looked several times at the story of creation and all that God created for Adam and Eve to enjoy. But go with me there again in Genesis chapter 1 and verse 28. Genesis 1 and verse 28. Then God blessed them. This is talking about Adam and Eve. And God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Can you imagine being a brand new human being on this planet and looking around at this grand and glorious creation that was perfect? It was so much more beautiful than anything we can even imagine looking outside today. And God saying, this is for you. I've created all of this for you to go out. And we have an English word here that, that, that is kind of harsh, dominion. But the Hebrew word is really more the idea of stewardship. This is, this is for your domain. This is for you to go out and to take care of this planet. This is all for you. God had created them that this entire planet was for them to go out. And not only that, but they're told to go out and multiply to fill this planet. God had designed an unlimited amount of pleasure and joy for Adam and Eve, and an unlimited amount of freedom for them to go out and to be able to experience all of this goodness. In fact, flip over to chapter 2, where we see similarly uh, God telling them, so, I mean, this is basically a command that he's giving them in verse 28, saying, you need to be fruitful, you need to multiply, fill the earth, 
God is giving them their marching orders. God is giving them their life commandments, how they should live their lives. Well, in Genesis chapter 2, it, it for the very first time tells us in the Bible that God commanded anything. Here God commands humans for the first time in verse 16. We'll look at verse 15. Then the Lord God took the man, he put him in the Garden of Eden to tend and to keep it. That's kind of this picture that we have here. First of all, God gives them a garden that they could be in, and it was a special place for them. The word Eden comes from a root that is believed to be delight or pleasure. Delight or pleasure. So he gives them a garden, and, and this place is called delight or pleasure. And then he says, this beautiful planet that is, is so very good, I want you to multiply, to fill it, to, sub, to, to rule over it. I want you to go and be a part of this grand creation that I have made. Verse 16, And the Lord God commanded the man, the very first commandments in the Bible, the Lord God commanded the man saying, Of every tree of the garden you may, what does it say? Freely eat. Very first commandment of God, you have freedom to go and to eat. Think about the very basic pleasures in your life. The, the most basic things that you enjoy. Is there anybody here that is not delighted by eating? Anybody that doesn't enjoy it? There's a couple of you. God bless you. <laughs> I'm sorry because each and every day, can you imagine what it would be like to wake up and to think, ah, I have to eat three times today. This could take hours off of my day. I don't enjoy eating. I don't like food. And I have to sustain myself. I need energy. I need strength. Very few of us feel that way. Most of us are like, okay, when is my next meal? Okay, I'm planning the next meal and I'm eating throughout the day in between sometimes, even though that's not the best for me. Because we can't wait to get this delightful energy into our bodies. God designed us in such a way that He knew that He could delight our lives, that He could give us pleasure. The whole focus was, hey, go out and you can eat freely of all these trees. The first commandment was go out and enjoy this wonderful pleasure that I have given you of eating. Does that sound like a good God to you? Does that kind of reframe for you what it means when God gives us commandments in our lives? What the purpose of his law is in our lives? He commands them, go out and enjoy the good fruit that I have made for you. And then he goes on to say in verse 17, but... Of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. So we'll keep this verse on the screen, but think about this. The planet today has about 196 million square miles. In that day, it wasn't covered by the vast oceans that we have today, but instead it was this teeming, beautiful planet that God had created. We don't know exactly what the difference was between the garden and what was outside of it. But I imagine that there were all types of trees, all types of things on this planet, and God is telling him, you can go out and you can enjoy all of this, eat freely of it. And then there's one place that you can't go and you can't eat from. Would you call this law a restrictive law? I, there is a restriction here, is there not? There's a restriction to stay away from one place out of all of the trees, all of the delights, all of the pleasures that you can have on this entire planet. And I want you to trust me to not seek for yourself 
something that I'm withholding from you? Can you trust me with this? There's this one tree, and I just, just don't go and eat of it. Because in that day, you will surely die. Minty, as a slave growing up, she was abused from the time she was very little. Sometimes she said she remembered waking up in the morning and she would get whipped up to five times before breakfast. One day she was out in town and she saw another slave master chasing after a slave and the slave master asked her to help to get the slave and she refused and the slave master threw this two-pound weight after the slave that he was chasing after and it didn't hit the slave, but it hit Minty. And she was severely injured by this. And she was sick because of this. She had seizures. She had all types of problems in her life. She was sickly. And for a slave, this was bad news. This meant that you weren't very valuable. This meant that you could be sold really cheaply to that master who would treat you really poorly. Minty grew up in captivity. And Minty began to realize something. She wanted freedom more than she wanted anything else. And she began to say something, actually. She began to say something. I'm going to put it up on the screen here. Minty went by another name, Harriet Tubman. You might have heard of her before. There was one of two things I had a right to, liberty or death. If I could not have one, I would have the other. You may have heard that famous saying, give me liberty or give me death. This is what drove Minty, Harriet Tubman, as she thought about the freedom that she could have. She said, I either want liberty or I want death. These are my two options. In the Garden of Eden, God gave the exact same two options to humanity. Liberty or death. Will you choose to trust me? To live in a selfless love environment? Will you choose to follow my law? Or will you choose death? The choice is yours. You can choose selfishness, and that self-focus will change absolutely everything in your life. So imagine that you are Satan and the fallen angels at this point. You really want for Adam and Eve to be deceived. What do you do? How do you go about deceiving a creature who's been given Eden, pleasure, delight, who's been given every tree to eat from, who's been given all of this delightful place What do you do in order to deceive them from this beautiful gift of life and freedom into a life that you know all too well results in slavery and enchainment? There's an interesting book that C.S. Lewis wrote. It's called The Screwtape Letters. I haven't gotten up the courage, honestly, myself to read this book. And here's why. Screwtape Letters is a book that is written with the idea that Screwtape is one of the senior demons, and he is writing to Wormwood. It's a a word for an angel in Revelation. He's writing to, to Wormwood, explaining how he can deceive those who are in his control, the, the, the humans that he has control over. And as he's writing this, he says something fascinating in letter number nine, talking to him. Now, as, as I put this on the screen, I want you to think about it in this way. When he says enemy, who would he be talking about if it's a demon? Jesus. And when he talks about the master or the good person, who would he be talking about? Satan. All right, good. You, you guys track fast. This is very good. So let's go to uh, this slide. It says, 
he made the pleasures. He's writing to him, telling him how to deceive this, this specific human being. He says, he made the pleasures, talking about God. All our research so far, if we get this up on the screen, has not enabled us to produce one. See what he's saying here? He's saying God has made all the pleasures. God is the one who made it delightful to eat. God is the one who made it delightful to be fruitful and multiply. God is the one who made all of these delights for humanity to enjoy. And we have not yet figured out how to produce another pleasure. So then it goes on to say, all we can do is to encourage the humans to take the pleasures which our enemy, that being God, has produced at times or in ways or in degrees which he has forbidden. The only thing that we can come up with is that that we can take these pleasures, we can twist them, and we can make them something that God has held back from them and through that choice of selfishly trying to fill their lives with pleasure, we will lead to their downfall. Then it goes on to say this, an ever-increasing craving for an ever-diminishing pleasure is the formula. Let that sink in for a second. And think about some of the things in your own life. I think about some of the addictions that I've had in my life. I've told you before about how as a a young man, pornography was an addiction that, that came into my life that I am extremely, I wish that I had never had a part of. Pornography is something that we see very clearly, is something that does not satisfy a person. And it continues to get more and more intense in a person's life. It continues to suck up more and more of their lives until they, oftentimes, people will be sucked into a life of crime through that. Why? Because sin is an ever-increasing craving for an ever-diminishing pleasure. You can think about it with other things. Food, for instance. When you take food and you misuse it and it's no longer actually food. It's so many steps away from a plant that you can't even recognize it as food anymore. And you take that food and you begin to eat it and it tastes really good at first. But they found that, that when you eat junk food, you want to eat more and more and more of it. And you keep eating more and more and more of it and you're never fully satisfied with the junk food. Does that make sense? An ever-increasing craving for an ever-diminishing pleasure. You could go on and on down the list. The most obvious thing might be for a drug addict. When you first take that hit of something, drug addicts know to to induce a a child into it. We were here when Stephen Arrington had a presentation about that. They make pills that look like candy for kids because you know if you can get a kid hooked on it, that then kids will be stuck on it for life. But a drug addict, at first he goes for the high, but pretty soon he has to have that, and there's less and less pleasure involved and more and more pain involved. Something from this same thing, a friend of mine, a pastor, Ty Gibson, who we had here uh, a year or so back, said this on his Twitter. He said, sin is an ever-increasing craving for an ever-diminishing pleasure. He's quoting here from C.S. Lewis. And then he goes on to say, the gospel is the process by which God redeems pleasure as the thriving byproduct of love. That's what God designed this planet for in the first place, was that we could enjoy purity and pleasure in such a way that the byproduct of love 
would be that pleasure of being in God's presence, of delighting in Him. Psalm 1611 says, You will show me the path of life. In your presence is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. God wants the very best thing for our lives. I only wish growing up that I had thought about that, that that was the primary focus in my life. But, but for me, it was like, hey, there's God and I want to go to church and I have that part of my life and then there's the pleasure part of my life where I pursue what I want to do and I, I, I fulfill my life over here. Not recognizing that that is an empty road and a road that leads to barrenness of soul. Adam and Eve took this temptation. That's exactly how, how Satan comes to them. He comes to them and he says, has God really told you that you can't eat of all of these trees? Painting this lie about what God really wants for them, that he's trying to withhold these things from them. And then he tries to, to get them to believe that God is holding something back from them, this knowledge of, of good and evil, which he was holding back a knowledge of sin from them. We all know how terrible that is. We all wish that we didn't have that in our own lives. And through this, you see the immediate consequences. Look at Genesis chapter 3. Adam and Eve had chosen to pursue pleasure, to pursue selfishly gratifying themselves rather than to to trust God, rather than to, to live a life based on God's law of love. And when God comes to them, they're hiding, they're afraid of God. So this relationship with God has been destroyed. And then you look at down in verse 12, how Adam responds to God when he says, did you eat of that tree which I told you not to eat of? Then the man said, the woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me of the tree and I ate. You see now how self-preservation has become the priority for Adam. No longer is he focused on loving. No longer is the law of God, of, of his dominion over this planet, of taking care of the planet, tending for it. Now he's looking out for number one. And he's taking care of himself. And he says, hey, the woman did it. It is her fault. And today, this is our primary way of relating to life. This is what causes so many relational dynamics and frictions within our relationships. We're looking out for number one. We're looking out for me. This is what creates so many of our problems that we are born in slavery. Jesus goes on here to tell them of a a solution. If you look at Genesis 3 and verse 15, I will put enmity between you and the woman, talking to the serpent. If God's going to put enmity between the serpent and humanity, what does that mean that there is between us and Satan and his kingdom? Friendship. We're not enemies. We are naturally born as selfish people who want to follow after Satan's way. But thankfully, it goes on to say, and between your seed and her seed, he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. You see, on the cross, Jesus demonstrated selfless love. He took on himself all of our choices for sin. And as he went to the cross for you and I, it brings healing into our own lives to transform our own hearts from selfishness to selflessness, from lawlessness to the ability to follow the law. James chapter 1 has something, James chapter 2 actually, has something interesting to say about the law of God. James 
chapter 2 and verse 12, talking about the law of God. It says, So speak and so do as those who will be judged by the law of what? Liberty. When you think about what God asks of you, when you think about God commanding you like He did for Adam and Eve, do you think of it as for the purpose of liberty? Do you think of it that God's commandments are about giving you life, that they're about giving you liberty, that they're about giving you pleasure and enjoyment in your life? Or do I look at God's law and I think, okay, I just got to get through this so that I get a reward at the end? It's a law of liberty. It's a law that brings freedom. In John chapter 8, the Pharisees are, have just tried to ensnare Jesus, and Jesus has set the woman free who was committing adultery. It, it shows this picture of a woman who is, is captured by pleasure, a woman who is, who is experiencing this ever-decreasing pleasure with an ever-increasing craving. She's caught in a life of adultery, and Jesus comes to her and He says, I don't condemn you. Now go and sin no more. Right after that, he launches into this discussion with the Pharisees, and the Pharisees are, are looking at him as this lawbreaker, this guy who's, who's throwing over all of their customs. And he says in John 8 and verse 32, he says, you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. You will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. The Pharisees say, well, how are we enslaved? We've never been in bondage to anybody. And in verse 36, or, or actually, sorry, go to John chapter 8, right before verse 36. I believe it's verse 34. He says, whoever commits a sin is a slave to sin. Jesus has this picture that, that anytime we commit a sin, we become enslaved to it. Which is exactly what happens when we begin to chase after what we see as something pleasurable. We see something as enjoyable and it's never fulfilling. It's like we're grasping after something that we just can't get our hands on and we just keep wanting more because we keep winding up more and more empty. Solomon said it like this, that it's vanity, vanity, a chasing after the wind. And if anybody who knew what it was like to chase after pleasure, it was Solomon, wasn't it? He had all the money, all of the wisdom. He had 700 wives, 300 concubines. He knew what it was like to be fruitful and multiply, but not in God's way and in God's timing and according to God's will. And he realized that it was empty, that it was meaningless, that it was an ever-increasing craving for an ever-diminishing pleasure. But on the contrary, God gives to us the law of liberty. He wants to set you and I free. Minty began to pray. She began to ask God that, first of all, her master would let her go free. Eventually, she said, I got tired of that, and I began to pray that he would die. And a couple weeks later, he died. And then she, she, she felt very bad about that prayer. And then she began to wonder, well, what's going to happen to me now? Here I am. I, I'm a weak slave who has seizures, and now the wife is auctioning off the household, and I'm going to get sold to somebody for pocket change, and what's going to happen to me? And so she determined to set herself free. She went on a journey, and thankfully, there was something established called the Underground Railroad, where there were people called conductors who would help you get free. And as she went 
she began to travel north from Maryland. She was traveling north, and they believed she would sleep at night, sometimes in the woods, in the marshes. Sometimes she would uh, go and she'd sleep inside of uh, wagons, and they would, they would take her to the next stop. Some, some of the stops, they would treat her as if she was a slave. When they got to a house, she would be told to go outside and to sweep out front so that it looked to everybody like this was one of the slaves. She knew that she just needed to follow the instructions of the conductor who were leading her to freedom. And step by step, she would follow until finally that day came when she crossed the border and she was able to finally experience freedom. And she, she, she writes at this point how she felt. She said, when I found I had crossed the line, I looked at my hands to see if I was the same person. There was such a glory over everything. The sun came like gold through the trees and over the field, and I felt like I was in heaven. Imagine, she's grown up as a slave. She's not experienced freedom before, and she wonders, what is it like in here? Finally, she's experienced freedom And in that moment, she looks down and she says, am I even the same person? Am I totally changed by this experience? The the trees look different. Everything looks different to her because finally she has experienced freedom. Friends, I believe that that is what God is longing to do in our lives as we are praying for the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 17. 2 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 17 describes what the Spirit of God does in our lives and what it brings to us. 2 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 17, it says this, Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. There is freedom. When you are filled with the Spirit of God, you are restored into that original image that God had designed you for. And God begins to transform you from the inside out so that you can live a life that He designed you for in the first place. God wants to restore the original freedom to us. He wants to restore us to that original domain that He had for us in the beginning. But here's the thing. The Spirit of God is a gentleman. The Spirit of God will not come unwelcome. The Spirit of God will not come into the place where there are other priorities and other purposes going on. If we are determined to hang on to our own pleasures, our own way, you know, the story is told about uh, how people used to trap monkeys. I don't know if it's true or not for sure, but that they would take a a chain and they would take a a box, a, a solid box, and they would put peanuts inside of it and then they would cut this tiny hole just big enough for the monkey to stick its hand inside of the box. And the monkey would come and stick its hand inside of the box, grab a fistful of the peanuts, and then would try to run away with a fist, but it couldn't get the fist out of the hole in the box, and the box is chained down, and so now the monkey is trapped. All the monkey needs to do is let go of its peanuts, and it would be free because it could easily get its hand out of the hole. But the monkey can't stand the thought of letting go of his little peanuts And so the monkey becomes a captive. For so much of my life, I've been hanging on to peanuts. When God's offering me liberty and pleasure and joy, in His presence is fullness of joy. At His right hand are pleasures forevermore. But I'm hanging on to my peanuts. Don't take those away from me, God. I I like my pleasures. I like these things. 
God doesn't tell us not to do something if it's good for us. He's the giver of every good gift. And so everything that is in this book is there for our benefit. Every law, every commandment is there to bring liberty, to bring life to us so that we can experience the glorious freedom of sons and daughters of God. It's so that we can experience what it's like to truly love God, to truly love other people. And if we ignore the things that are in this book, and we think, well, I'll just pray for the Spirit and go on about my merry way, the Spirit isn't going to force His way into our lives. He's going to let us go on and have our peanuts if we won't let Him have them. Harriet had the option to stay in slavery, but she saw a bigger picture. She saw the opportunity of freedom. And when God sets us free, it's not just for us to experience that freedom. It's so that we can be transformed to live a life that is transforming for other people. Look at John chapter 14 with me. In John chapter 14, Jesus is talking about this final, John 14 to 17, he talks a lot about the Holy Spirit. This is just before the disciples are separated from him when he goes to the cross. But in John chapter 14 and verse 15, he says this, if you love me, keep my commandments. The, the wording there really in the Greek could be, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. You can see this as a, as a promise, as much of a command. If you love God, you will keep his commandments, Jesus is saying. And then notice what comes right after that. And I will pray the Father, and he will give you another helper that he may abide with you forever. The Spirit of truth. You will know the truth and the truth will set you free. You're going to know the truth through the outpouring of the Holy Spirit in your life. Because the Holy Spirit is the one who brings truth to our realization. The Spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees Him nor knows Him. But you know Him, for He dwells with you and will be in you. You see, many aren't going to be able to receive the Spirit because the Spirit is contrary to selfishness. The Spirit is contrary to all of the ways that are contrary to love. And many aren't going to be willing to surrender to receive the Spirit. The question for us this morning is, do we trust God's goodness enough to say, okay, I surrender? And I'm willing for your Spirit to come in not so that I can use your spirit to try and do what I want to do in my life, but because I want the true liberty that comes from walking in your commandments. The true liberty that comes from experiencing love to God and love to people. The true liberty that comes from faithfully following Jesus. This is what God is longing to do in our lives. And He's longing to instill in us this law that will transform us not just so that we can feel good, not just so that we can live a pure life all by itself. But James says this is pure and undefiled religion that we go and we help the orphans and the widows and the poor. That religion is proactive. The law of God is something that's big and vast and transformative to every part of our lives. Harriet Tubman, I believe, realized the value of freedom and the transformation that it should have on a person's life. She says this after realizing that she was free. She says, I was a stranger in a strange land, 
My father, my mother, my brother and sisters, and friends were in Maryland. But I was free, and they should be free. She recognized something. Freedom isn't just something for us to enjoy on our own, but freedom is something to be shared. She said, how could I sit here and be free and be excited about my life knowing that my brothers and sisters, my mom and dad, are still in slavery? Galatians chapter 5 tells us exactly this in our own experience, knowing that we're set free by Christ. Galatians chapter 5 and verse 13 Paul writing to the Galatians, he has a lot to say about remembering the liberty that you've been given. But in verse 13, he says, For you, brethren, have been called to liberty. Only do not use your liberty as an opportunity for the flesh. Don't use this new liberty of being a Christian, of of following God, of knowing that God loves you. Don't use that so you can be selfish. Don't use that just to go to church. Don't use that just so that you can make yourself somebody different. But use that, he goes on to say, Use this, but through love, serve one another. Use the liberty that you've been given to serve, to transform other lives. And if you know the story of Harriet Tubman, she determined, that's what I'm going to do. I'm going back. And she went back, not just once, not just twice, but up to about 20 different times, saving, some people say, hundreds of slaves. Bringing them back. Here she was, a worthless slave who had seizures, who was weak, who was sickly, who nobody thought she was worth anything. And she was the one who they began to call her Moses because she would lead person after person, sometimes groups of up to 11 people out of slavery and into freedom. In, in I believe it was 1850, the, this act came out that, that made it so that in the north they could return slaves to the owners in the south And this made it more difficult for her. This meant that she had to take them all the way on the Underground Railroad to Canada. But she didn't stop. She kept going back and getting people and taking them even further. Whatever it took to get other people the same freedom that she had, she put herself in the place of danger to give them that liberty that she now had. In our lives, the Spirit will fill us when the purpose of our heart to be filled with the Spirit, of asking for the Spirit on a daily basis, a continual basis, is not just for me, but so that I can set other people free. People that are, are addicted to alcohol, people that are addicted to smoking, people that are, are addicted in their relationships, people that are, they need freedom in their lives. Whoever commits a sin, Jesus said, is a slave of sin. And God wants you and I to be transforming agents for others. You might think, well, who am I? What could I do? How could I go out there and save the world? Harriet Tubman could have asked that question. She was a slave who was sickly. But instead, she just went out and did what she could. And God wants to empower each and every one of us to transform this world. We are set free to use our liberty not for the flesh, but so that in love we can serve one another. What would that look like in my personal life? When I go home and I get home at the end of a long day and my first thought is how to serve my wife. My first thought is how to, how could I help somebody else? How could I help my neighbor? What could I do? Maybe, maybe there's somebody in need around me. True freedom in our lives comes 
when we begin to focus on others rather than on ourselves. True freedom will come for our church too as we begin to recognize the power of serving other people. I want to play a video clip for us today of a church in uh, British Columbia, a church that decided that they wanted to not be focused on themselves. The Seventh-day Adventist church who said, hey, we have a community out there, and a lot of what we're doing is based on us and fulfilling our needs. But what could we do to impact the world out there? Go ahead and play this video clip if we can. As you watch it, think about our own community and what we could. Today is Mother's Day. And I wish that is not the one. If you can go off of that. That's really strange. <laughs> Computer problems. I promise you that I will play it for you another time. It's of a church that decides, hey, we want to impact our community in real and living ways. And I won't go into the details now so that you can see it another time. Um, that was me wishing my mom a Mother's Day. I was joking at the beginning. I got friendlier later on, I promise. <laughs> but I want to play this from, uh, to, to share this from the book, The Desire of Ages, page 466. It says, In the work of redemption, there is no compulsion. No external force is employed. Under the influence of the Spirit of God, man is left free to choose whom he will serve. Redemption is what sets us free so that we can choose if we want to follow Jesus, if we want to be filled with the Spirit. That's why we ask so much to be filled with the Spirit. Because it's the Spirit of liberty who doesn't force His way on us, but who comes when we ask for it. It goes on to say, In the change that takes place when the soul surrenders to Christ, there is the highest sense of freedom the highest sense of freedom in your life, the highest sense of pleasure, of joy in your life comes from a full and entire surrender. When you say, God, you can have my peanuts. I don't want them anymore. I'm surrendering completely and entirely to you. When we desire to be set free from sin and in our great need cry out for a power out of, we can go to the next two slides. There we go. In the change that takes place when the soul surrenders to Christ, there's the highest sense of freedom. Next slide. When we desire to be set free from sin and in our great need cry out for a power out of and above ourselves, the powers of the soul are imbued with the divine energy of the Holy Spirit and they obey the dictates of the will in fulfilling the will of God. Where the Spirit of God is, there is liberty. The law of liberty is written on our hearts through the Holy Spirit. The only question is, will we surrender everything to the God of love who commands us for the purpose of our joy in life, who commands us because he knows that the path of fulfillment, the path of joy, is in his presence? Will we surrender to the God of love today? That's the question for my heart. That's the question for all of our hearts. Will we surrender all to Jesus today? I just want to close... Um, with a prayer, and again, just in the silence of your own heart, just to give you that opportunity to surrender in a fresh way to Jesus this morning. Father, I don't know where each heart is at this morning. I don't know what it's been for each individual sitting here, but I guarantee that each and every one of us has had this experience of 
chasing after pleasures, where we have an ever-increasing craving and ever-diminishing returns from our chase. And God, we just want to repent from that, that empty chase and just ask that you'd fill us with the Holy Spirit today. We want to turn to you and allow the spirit of liberty to fill our hearts this morning. Would you please pour out your Holy Spirit on us today? Would you please transform our hearts? In the silence of our own hearts, we just want to surrender whatever it may be today that we're holding back from you. And we give you full permission to just convince us and to show us the things that are holding us back today. Thank you, Father, for pouring out your Holy Spirit on us. Thank you for giving us an ever-increasing thirst, a hunger for more and more of you because you are beautiful, you are good, you are delightful. Lord, we pray that you would dispel all the lies of the enemy who tries to, to get us to believe that you're holding something back from us and that we would dive into your word this week as people who are hungry to know the way of life, who are hungry to let your spirit lead us in paths of righteousness for your name's sake. Father, this isn't natural for us. Naturally, we have enmity in our hearts towards you. But we look to the cross and we accept that free gift of salvation to transform our hearts that we can be born again to walk in newness of life today and every day. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen.